Welcome to the Seven Innings Podcast uh, for a conversation today with our softball family and a conversation similar to the ones going on worldwide about racism and social change, diversity and inclusion, and becoming better allies for one another. And also how playing sports brings us together to share experiences with people of different races and backgrounds as we develop a greater understanding and appreciation of one another. And we also want to talk a little bit today about growing this sport to include more young black players to experience all the opportunities that being a student athlete affords us. And uh, we are ready to listen to our friends today. Holly? Okay, so I found this wonderful quote that I wanted to share with you um, from Nelson Mandela. Sport has the power to change the world. It has the power to inspire. It has the power to unite people in a way that little else does. And it speaks to youth in a language they can understand. I found that on the website of one of our guests today, Natasha Watley, since 2009, has been doing incredible work in the community to involve people of different different ethnicities in softball. And so in the spirit of understanding, we wanted to invite you all on today to listen to your experiences as women that we look up to in the softball world. And, and we can't wait to hear from you. Um, Natasha, I was so thrilled to to read more about what you're doing in your foundation. You have been making an impact for change for decades. And we want to, to listen to that and find out ways that we can help to improve and support you in that space. So we have Natasha Watley, the two-time Olympian and a UCLA national champion, one of the best shortstops in softball history. And as Holly uh, mentioned, her foundation helping get more, getting more young girls playing softball. And Aaliyah Jordan, a current UCLA national champion, an All-American who already has a, a Pac-12 uh, batting crown to her credit. And, uh, one of the, one of the best players right now in the college game. Tori Tyson, the head coach at uh, Howard University, also will be joining us today. So we'll turn it over to Holly to get us going. Okay, so I want to start with you, Natasha, because you have been working in this space for such a long time. Of What were the experiences that you have had in the softball world, and why did you decide to, to start your foundation to improve those experiences for people moving forward? Well, yes, Holly, growing up, I did not have anybody that looked like me um, when I was playing. I didn't have anyone that I gravitated towards playing this game that made me want to play. Um, luckily, like I fell in love with this game. And like you said, sports is a place where you feel comfortable. I am so blessed. I've had amazing parents who I think along the way sheltered me a lot from racial experiences. And, you know, obviously now being an adult, having those conversations with them. Um, but I think it's just so important to give access, give opportunity to these young ladies. Um, my experience going around speaking about my Olympic experience, speaking about having the opportunity to play at the best college in the universe and being a Bruin and what that meant. Um, I went on a speaking tour and a young lady asked me, what is softball? Had no idea what softball was, and for me, that was mind-blowing. I grew up in Irvine, and that was by design for my parents. My parents, my dad grew up in Louisiana in the South. My mom grew up in the Bahamas. They met at Southern University at HBCU, and they wanted to make sure that I had that access, that opportunity. And I think um, sports is a way that you can be celebrated, um, you know, and one of the things that my parents always said, when you leave this house, Natasha, you might be looked at differently, you might be treated differently. And that's something that going forward that no kid should um, ever hear. And that's exactly what I've done with the foundation is making sure that these young ladies are seen, they're heard, they know that they can accomplish anything in this world. Um, I think I've been trying to make sure that they see this sport, that they know that this sport is for them, that they could play this, that they can excel, excel at this, that they can um, accomplish so much, and it could be an, a great avenue for them. The NatashaWatleyFoundation.org is where you can get information about that. And, and we look forward to getting more involved. I think that I speak for all of us that we can be doing better and we can be doing more. Um, I want to ask Aaliyah, first and foremost, you know, you're at UCLA. This is a program that typically has a lot of diversity. But what has your experience been there and how can it be improved? Um, initially, when I came to or when I was being recruited by UCLA, um, actually having black players on the team before I was able to get there was definitely one of the reasons why I chose UCLA because, you know, on a few of my visits, you know, you don't really see very diverse teams out in the NCAA. So 
um, that actually helped me help me make my decision to go to UCLA. But since I've gone to UCLA, my coaches have been amazing. And I've never had any instances where, you know, I felt like I've been treated differently or anything like that. They understand like my background and what it's taken for me to get there. So it's just been amazing for me to, you know, my experience so far at UCLA. Aaliyah, we, you, you hear a lot of um, times, and, and Natasha actually referenced it, it's important to see someone that looks like you doing it. Describe for us what it was like uh, watching Natasha and how significant that is and how important it is for you to be a Natasha for somebody who's younger than you. Yeah. Being I mean, Aaliyah for somebody who's younger than you. <laughs> Yeah, so many of the girls, like, message me, to, like, every day saying, you know, I want to be just like you. And just, like, for me to be able to be that person for them because, you know, I only really had Natasha or I really looked up to also B.B. Bates. So only, like, having those two people that I really look up to, like, being able to see more girls, more black girls in the NCAA, like, it's not just me. You know, it's not just Natasha. It's not just B.B. You know, there's so many other girls that they can look up to, which definitely like is amazing. And so, but just for me to be that for someone else and like so many other little girls, just so much because, you know, I tell them, like, I don't want you to be like me. I want you to be better than me. Like, don't, you know, don't strive to be me because you're not me. You're going to, you're different. You're, you can be way better than me. Jess? Tosh, we've talked about this a little bit, but as teammates, I mean, this is a conversation that's come up so much now in the last few weeks, but you think about over the course of your careers for both of you, how can we be better as teammates to have these conversations, to hear everything that both of you have shared and talked about that honestly doesn't go discussed? It doesn't get brought up. And how can that change moving forward? Um, I'll start. I, I definitely think acknowledging that there are differences. And I think it's listening to understand. And when we have these conversations, um, you know, sometimes, yeah, we've all, and I I can't speak for Leah, but we've been on a team and and you kind of get coined as a token black girl and you're kind of, you know, you're my teammate and I don't see, they don't see color, but you don't realize what it's like um, leaving your doors as an African-American woman in this country. Nobody knows that I'm an Olympian when I leave my, my home. So I think for um, teammates to understand is, there are differences. We have differences in, in hair. We have differences of products that we need to buy. There are those differences. But I think it's almost just acknowledging and taking ownership. And ownership in the fact that if you see or experience or hear um, another white teammate making a comment, I think it's standing up, stepping up, making, you know, making, acknowledging that you know, I think that's a, that's huge in making sure that you acknowledge the fact that we are different. And I think that's a great start in just making sure that you um, understand the differences. Yeah, for sure. Um, like growing up in travel ball in high school, you know, being one of the only black girls on the team, I think other players felt like it was okay to make, you know, racial jokes about it. And, you know, me being me, I just, you know, was kind of too embarrassed to say anything and to stand up for myself. Um, There have been instances where I've had, you know, other teammates, you know, stand up for me and say, you know, that's not right. Like you you shouldn't be saying that, but like, thankfully I have those people, but you know, like it's just, they see it as a joke and they think that just because I'm like one of them that I, you know, that they can make those jokes or a lot of people call me like an Oreo because I'm black on the outside and white on the inside. So they feel like they can, they can say those things, but obviously it's not okay. And it's something that's always made me uncomfortable, but I've never really, until I think maybe college, I've gone, you know, the experience and like the confidence to, you know, step up for myself and say, you know, that's not okay. I think confidence to stand up for yourself is important in this discussion. You know, we're seeing a lot of things in social justice and the movements that are going on around our country right now. And there's a lot of conversation about things, but I feel like maybe black women are not being represented enough. You know, we saw the death of George Floyd that has sparked nationwide protests, Ahmaud Arbery. Um, But Breonna Taylor is a young woman who was killed in Louisville is I, I feel that watching all of this, the the experience of black women is not being discussed as much and i wonder how can we elevate that conversation what what would you suggest to to bring more attention to the experience black women are having in this country exactly what we're doing sharing more stories of black women and in softball specifically i mean there's so many of black girls that we can tap into that are playing this game um it goes on every level. It goes on who's talking about the game. There's so many black girls who can share their experiences. 
it can go to coaching. And I think that's a big push now that we're having um, more black girls staying in the game, coaching, you're bringing on Tori later. Um, it's, it goes on every level. It's just continuing to elevate, share their stories, make sure that they're visual, make sure that they're represented because just imagine exactly what you're saying, being a black girl growing up and watching ESPN and not seeing anybody who looks like you, like that's a big, big deal. And I think the more that we can, you know, pick a black girl, share her story, pick Leah, let's share her story. Let's make sure that she's plastered all over the place. Make sure that everybody at home knows her name. That's important. That's so important. Yeah. Also with that, um, just like being able to talk to my coaches about my background and like what it's taken for me to get there, you know, they understand that. And so I think each year, like we've had different instances of where we needed to grow as a program, as far as like having black girls on the team. And so I think just having those conversation conversations with my coaches and allowing them like to understand what it's like, um, has definitely helped our program grow and like better communicate with one another. How have the conversations changed amongst teammates uh, just in the last couple of weeks? And um, Holly referenced, you know, the social justice and having a bigger voice and social change that's going on. What are those conversations like? And do you are you guys formulating plans for how you want to be more involved in the community as well as a team? Yeah, we are. So I think maybe a few days after um, the killing of um, George Floyd, we all had like a group um, Zoom and we talked about it. And um, there, I usually always have my camera on and there was a period where I turned it off and Coach I called me and, oh my God, I'm going to start crying. <laughs> Coach I called me and just, you know, cause she could tell that, you know, I was really emotional about this because it's not something that, you know, is easy to talk about. And it's not something that I don't really like to like talk about my feelings and whatnot. So um, like being able to have that conversation with my teammates and being able like to hear them, like, like see a glimpse of my life and like my, just talk about like my parents and whatnot. It was, um, I mean, definitely really hard, but definitely, definitely made us closer and definitely made it allow them to understand what's going on because a lot of them didn't even understand like what the black lives matter movement was, you know, or like why the rioting was happening, all that stuff. And so just to give them like a little bit of background <clears throat> of like what I went through. So um, definitely allowed us to, you know, grow as a program. Mm-hmm. Natasha, ask you because you know you you said that you started your foundation um because you were going around giving clinics and you noticed that in inner cities in los angeles and california the softball fields and the facilities were not that opportunistic like kids were not having that opportunity so what can we do and you can do and help us do at a youth level to get more participation in softball by young black girls like how can we change that conversation and open those opportunities for people in this softball family. Yeah. Well, we need to bring the experience to them. You know, if we're doing a clinic, we need to set up shop at a inner city park. Um, It's got to be a low barrier entry. It's got to be free cost. It's got to be something that everybody can access. Um, I think just making sure that there's no barrier to injury that they're able to play because obviously we, we know how expensive our sport is with our equipment. Um, making sure that our sponsors step up, um, donating equipment, whatever it is, um, making sure that there's no reason why that they can't share in the experience. And so um, it's just got to be setting up shop, low barrier, low barrier of injury. Aaliyah, when you started out, what were some of the challenges you faced in youth softball, that, but what you kept pushing through to to participate and continue your career? Yeah, definitely when I started um, All-Stars and, you know, uh, Rec League, um, you know, I was kind of like the smaller girl. And so um, a lot of times when I would try out for All-Stars, you know, they would say that I wasn't good enough or that I just didn't fit. Not that I didn't fit the image, but that I probably wouldn't do as well if I played gold instead of if I probably would do better if I played silver. And so it, like, took a lot of, like, talking from my dad saying, like, you know, like, she's really good. Like, you guys, you know, basically, like, you guys are missing out. So you could definitely tell that it was, like, a, definitely a struggle. And then once I got to high school, um, it definitely – I noticed that I was being treated differently than the rest of my friends because all my best friends played softball as well. So um, it definitely – I've also come in. I was already committed to UCLA, so I think 
they came in and they already had like this pre-notion about me. And so they, you know, they didn't even know me. And um, my sister or had already played high school with these coaches. And so she basically went to the same thing and just was not treated right. And every year, like me and my dad had to have a conversation about like, do I want to go back? Do I want to play for these people? And um, every year I said yes, because my best friends played and I didn't want to miss out. And so every year I kind of went through the struggle of just being treated differently. And it's kind of like, people always ask me like, what, what is it like? Like, what, what can you tell? And it's hard to like explain it, but you just like have a gut feeling that, you know, you're not, you're not treated because of how you're playing. It's not because of how you're playing or how you are. It's just you that they don't like. So it definitely is hard to explain that. And it's definitely hard like to know that um, and then still keep coming back every year. What's your, what's your love letter to softball? Why should more young black girls want to play the game and the benefits that it has provided you, uh, the challenges that, that you have had to overcome, uh, through playing softball, but also, you know, now, now, uh, already, uh, uh, successful in life, about to enter the real world here in a couple more years for you, Aaliyah. What, why is it so important? It's important because I, I want girls, especially black girls, to feel like they can do anything and they know that they're equal to others. I feel like in America, just black girls or black women also are just like treated differently and that always like put in a corner and that they can't do certain things. And so being able to have those little girls like feel that they can do whatever they want and succeed in a sport like softball just is huge. And so for me, I, that's like my message I want, you know, young girls to see from me. And so, yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. Natasha same I, I softball is it really is accepting it's it doesn't discriminate on size color shape you can succeed in this game um, softball has made me feel like a superwoman like I can accomplish anything and I know that that could be the same for the next young lady the next black girl um, this game just it can feed you so many things I mean obviously we talk about you know the camaraderie and teammates and the sisterhood but along that just the character building you know the, the type of woman that you become um, facing adversity and and you know actually competing and, and being in this game um, it's I, I think this is the greatest sport ever um, but I, I think that you can become a superwoman for sure. What I, I obviously we want to hear from you too, but I'd love to hear some, some uh, from the other ladies here because you guys have just talked about what I think is the perfect reason why sports can really be a, a driver of change is the conversations you have as teammates and what that locker room is like when people from uh, different races, different socioeconomic, different religions, all are thrown into this wonderful mosh pit as a teammate and setting aside personal goals for the good of the team, but also developing this great understanding and better understanding of this person I may not have run into in real life. What are, what are, com what are the, the good conversations that you have as teammates that can help people uh, better understand each other? Yeah, I just think just open conversations. And to be honest, actually, I, you know, not even playing anymore. And most of my teammates have reached out in the last couple of weeks. And like, we actually are having these conversations. And it's for so long, it's been something that I have suppressed, much like Leah, like, it's not something that I wanted to lead with. Like, I don't want to play the race card. I don't want to be that angry black woman, you know, and it sucks. There's times where I've actually said, I wonder if I was white, if my experience would be different with this. And um, I just be being able to share that with teammates and them actually being like, wow, Tosh, like I didn't realize this was something that you dealt with again, because it's like, a, you're almost exempt. It's like, you're cool. You're Tosh. You're my, you're, you're my girl. Like, um, and so I just think just continuing to have these open conversations, which now years later, I'm having them with my teammates and it's been amazing. It's almost feels um, like, you know, weight's been taken off my shoulders that I've actually can freely have these conversations and they're, and they're listening, they're listening to understand. And now some of them are moms and wanting to raise their kids and, and to not see color and to um, really raise some great young kids that come into this world. And, and so it's been great having these conversations uh, as of late. It, I love the words you use is like superwoman because I think for those of us in softball who cover you and have watched you both play for years, we think you are super women. We, we see you as super women. And I think it hurts our heart to hear that when you walk out of your door, the rest of the world may not see you that way because of your skin color. And I want to know 
what what can you tell us about softball is a loving and accepting place for the most part. We can be better. It has to be better. But I want you to tell us what we can do to support you as black women, not just athletes that we already think are super people. Um, we want to be better. We have to be better. And we would love to hear from you, but how we can, how we can be better. Um, so for me, just like woman to woman, I mean, like we said many times, like having these conversations, you know, is huge. Um, as like a teammate, I think that like having the conversation and just being there and understanding, you know, that we are different and we're not, we're not, 100% the same, you know, so like understanding that differences, but also like using that, you know, to come together and to understand one another and better communicate and whatnot. But yeah, just being there. I mean, just like understanding, I think just understanding and having the effort and like being willing to change and to understand like your mindset um, is definitely going to help. Yeah. I mean, I, I think more than anything, it's, it's that support. It's that, it, that understanding and, and exactly what teammates have been doing is they've been reaching out and like, Tasha, we hear you. We didn't realize. And I think that to me, that's, that's everything because not saying anything at all, almost having an elephant in the room, like that's the worst thing. And that's, what's been uncomfortable these, all these years is not being able to, you know, definitely being a black woman, being so proud, but sometimes, you know, you have those encounters and like not being able to have anywhere to go to except for your other black teammates, if you if you're lucky enough to have them, you know, and so um, I think more than anything, it's just that support and just like, hey, I hear you. I see you. And I understand. That's all I need. Tasha, I know I, I have regret. We had so many long bus rides and there's so many times where I wish, I mean, we were bringing up politics. I mean, think of all the stuff we talked about and the things that we went over. And I know you and I talked about this, like maybe it wasn't time, maybe we weren't ready, but like, I know I have regret as a teammate of not diving into this stuff. Like, what is it like? And shoot, we had like 40 hours at a time on buses in the middle of the country um, where I wish we had, um, I think I regret it too. I mean, I think that's been one of the biggest things in the last couple of weeks that, you know, for having all the young girls who have said, Tasha, oh my gosh, we've looked up to you. And I feel like a huge regret for not leading with my voice. You know, I thought being visually a black woman was enough and it's not, it's not enough. And, you know, I'm so proud of Leah and so proud of just the conversations I've had with other black girls that are currently playing the last couple of weeks for using your voice and speaking up and just saying, Hey, like I'm uncomfortable. Like I know this is an uncomfortable conversation for you, but um, this is what we deal with. And I, I, I regret it. I regret not even being able to say, Hey, this is what I feel. This is what I experienced, but I wasn't there yet. And so, you know, here we are. Tosh, I just want to, if you could give us an example of your foundation of one of, of the girls, and there's been hundreds um, that you've influenced, but honestly, the foundation and the work that they've done, but a story where you've seen a girl that would have otherwise not have had an opportunity because of what you've done, what the foundation has done, they have now gone on to college. They've gone on what, what softball has led them to because of what you're doing with the foundation. Yeah, we've had a few, we've had a, a few success stories. Um, just recently we sent our first girl off to university, of South Carolina, Claflin, um, HBCU, Got a full ride scholarship, Janelle Brown. Um, she started, got her start in her league, and she's our first athlete that we've tracked that's received a scholarship and that's gone in play. We've had a few that have gone on locally to local junior colleges. Um, but Janelle Brown is probably our poster girl right now who has gone on and, and done some great things. We're going to keep an eye on Janelle Brown, America. Check her out. Thank you guys so much for joining us. By the way, uh, get involved with the Natasha Watley Foundation, folks. Check it out online. Uh, character development, softball skills, and wellness are uh, the uh, the three keys to the foundation. And, and um, Tasha, I know uh, it, just real quick, how can younger kids get involved? You're, you've got uh, a league uh, ages 8 to 15, right? Yes, we have a virtual league. We obviously, given the times, had to do a little pivot. So we have um, everything that's virtual right now. So we actually have teams, but we've been able to open up outside of the city of L.A. Obviously, right now, um, our league is 
we're partnering with the city of LA. So we've been able to open it up. We've had some kids internationally joined, which has been kind of cool for Mexico. Um, so it's go to NatashaWatleyFoundation.org and you can sign up for the virtual league there. And we would love to have you. The starter on the seven innings podcast, greatest team of all time, Natasha Watley, ladies and gentlemen, and Aaliyah Jordan, as impressive as, you were hitting the longest home run in the history of Easton Stadium. That poor tree down the right field line. Uh, even more impressive uh, to watch uh, your growth as a young woman and uh, finding your voice and sharing your stories and, and impressing the next generation of softball players. Thank you guys so much uh, for joining us today. We appreciate the time. And, and of course, um, you know, we look forward to even more interaction with the ESP, ESPN family when we get back to softball um, next season and um, uh, just helping spread how important this game is to all of us and how important all of your stories are to all of us. Joining us now on the uh, Seven Innings Podcast, Tori Tyson, who is the head coach at Howard University and a member of one of, if not the most celebrated families in Southern California club softball. Uh, Tori, welcome to the program, and uh, we appreciate your time today. Holly? Okay, this makes me feel so old. This feels like yesterday you were playing at Nebraska, and we were covering your games, and now here you are as a head coach. I wanted to find out what were some of the most important steps you took after you were a player where you were a team captain, an honor roll member at Nebraska, to becoming a head coach? Um, I think my journey was pretty unique. I mean, not only uh, being a black woman coaching, I became a mom first. Most people like, get into coaching and then start their family. So, um, of course, I decided to go the opposite way, and I went in with Skyler. Um, and I received so many no's. Like, I don't think people realize this. You know, like, as celebrated as my family was, I sent, like, 80 emails. Like, no lie. Like, for a grad position, for anything. And it was like, ah, we're not really looking right now. And I didn't have, like, a stellar playing career, so that didn't have that going for me. Um, and I finally got my first yes to Bethune-Cookman. And so, I mean, when I finally got my first yes, I wanted to become one of the greatest. Like, I wanted to dominate everywhere I went. Um, it was personal. Like, I had a chip on my shoulder, and uh, this was how I was going to feed my my daughter, you know? So uh, my journey is a little bit different. It means a, it means a lot, you know? It, it was survival, um, and it was an opportunity that I would have been begging for. So you, you get that opportunity, but then you quickly are able to rise up the ranks. You go to Maryland as a pitching coach, and then you get this opportunity at Howard as a head coach. It, it sounds so easy on paper, but how did you make that step from Bethune-Cookman and then the step from pitching coach to head coach? Give us a pathway. Um, so I went in and I wrote, I remember when I got the job, I cried. I drove, Skyler was 16 months and we drove from Nebraska to Florida and everyone around me was like, what are you doing? Like I literally found a place on Craigslist and, but I knew I had to do it. I had to take this risk. And, uh, I wrote down when I got there, I cried. Me and Skyler were sleeping on the floor for like three days before my furniture came. And I mean, that little girl was just like, she was tougher than me. Like one night she held me and I wrote down a goal. Like I was going to become a head coach in five years because I wanted, when she started school, I wanted us to have a foundation. So I had to be very strategic about my moves and I had to do well. So I remember after my first year at Bethune, I got pitcher of the year with my pitcher, Sabrina. Um, she became an all-region pitcher, and I thought I would stay there for a while. I fell in love with historically black schools. I mean, I was coming from the University of Nebraska. It was a culture shock for me. And I just fell in love. You're talking about dealing with athletes. They were some freak athletes there that just didn't grow up with families that had the training or didn't play for the top travel teams. And it meant more. I loved going up against bigger schools and being able to compete with them. And um, my first year, I get offered by Cal State Fullerton, Maryland, and Arizona State. And I remember crying. I, it was the most painful decision because I felt this responsibility to grow the game at a historically black school. But if we're being honest, I'm a black woman at a historically black school. It's too, it's too cliche. Like I had to prove that I could do something outside of an HBCU. And I felt that. 
Um, so I went and looked for like where I could make the biggest difference. And I looked at Cal State Fullerton. They had such rich tradition. They were a fifth place team. They had been taken fifth. And I looked at their offense and I'm like, I could do something there. And I seen their pitchers. Um, and I went and we had a special two years. We won two championships. Um, the pitcher swept pitching honors, uh, my first year. Um, and I would ask, right. I would kind of network, like, what is my next move got to be? And then it was like, well, you haven't done anything at a power five. Like that was the chatter. Like what you're doing at Fullerton is good. And I'm like, I mean, that year I beat Oklahoma. I, I mean, we beat a couple power fives. We beat Arizona state and I'm like, it still wasn't enough. So then I was like, all right, I got to get to a P5. Um, Maryland opened up and I, you know, I, I'm very strategic about it. I'm like, what do we have to do to show that I made a difference? They hadn't made the big 10 tournament in a couple years. So I went on on mission and I had to make the big 10 tournament. There was no other option. Um, we ended up clinching a uh, big 10 birth. Um, and I went and did Chicago bandits. So grateful for Stacey Newman. And I did that journey with Lauren Lappin, um, and just revived my love because you guys got to understand my head was down. It was always personal. So sometimes it, it was, it was enjoyable. Winning is fun, but it was like never enough because I had an end goal and I'm moving this little child across the country. So getting her settled was the final destination, not just these championships, not these pitching honors. So, uh, I, I started to go back to Maryland and I kid you not, uh, Howard is right down the street, um, offered, I, I stepped on campus and it's one of the most prestigious. It is the Mecca of historically black schools. Um, they hadn't really done anything. Um, but there was a pitcher that pitched there in the fall when I was at Maryland and I was like, I can do something with that girl. So, um, I took the job and I mean, they didn't have, they don't have a field, Holly. They don't, uh, we have to travel about 30 minutes. We practice on our football field. We lay out bases and we get after it. My first practice, I, I was nervous. I made a practice plan and it rained all night. So I'm like, I don't know where I'm going to go. They were supposed to open up this local city field. So I'm like, I can't cancel day one. We got to get after it. So 6 a.m., I literally get emotional and chills still thinking about it. We go to this local public field. I lay out the bases on the grass. And these kids just get after it. There's mud flying all over them. They're doing a full scrimmage on a, a local city park, right? We had a couple homeless people right there watching, getting this started at 6 a.m. And I, I knew that I was supposed to be exactly where I was in that moment. It's so beautiful. You know, you, you started out with this kind of famous family. Your dad, Marty Tyson, coaches in the Corona Angels organization. You, you grew up seeing a black man coaching at youth softball. What what example did your dad set for you that this is possible and that this is something that could be a normal pathway for you in your coaching career? Yeah, not to boast. I was the first ever Corona Angel, and he was supposed to, um, in 14 and under, it was supposed to shut down, and he was going to go coach Dominique and Donna. Well, that group didn't want to leave, and I remember, like, my dad was always the big black, big black loud guy, you know, and um, I said this on another podcast, sometimes it got personal, and my dad, the way he took it in stride, like, we took it personal, sometimes it went beyond trying to beat the Corona Angels, and very, like, trying to beat Marty, um, and we were a family, like, this program started, it was just us, and we, we defended our family. And my dad, the way he took things in stride, the way he took those risks, um, he went to 18 gold. I wasn't good enough. I stayed back in 14s. But they went to 18 gold, and it was risky. Even some of the parents, you know, my dad was going to feed them to, like, Gordon's Panthers and uh, Bat Busters and Firecrackers because they were established on the gold level. Um, but I remember crying when I, I was at Nationals and got news that he ended up taking top five that year. Um, with a bunch of, you know, a bunch of kids that just came up from 14s. Um, so I am a Marty Tyson disciple. I, 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 I try to represent him in the best ways. And there is no Tory without Marty. And I'm very aware of that. I believe Aaliyah Jordan was also a Corona angel, right? Yes, Aaliyah Jordan yes. was. There you go. So you, you obviously had a great experience and a, a great role model in your dad, in your family. You mentioned your daughter. Uh, what what can the softball community, what can America at large do to make her experience even better and and the road even smoother um, in, in terms of relationships and understanding? Um, I think it's on doing exactly what we're doing right now. We need to start having some tougher conversations just about race in general. Um, the myth of not seeing color just isn't real. Um, and I think that we need to acknowledge that. I think that 
um, at the youth level, um, something I spoke about with Veronica Wiggins is getting our, our black athletes into this sport, but um, not in these the positions we're used to seeing them. So what happens a lot on the youth level is these athletes are so good. And so when someone goes down, it's like, hey, and I get they need to be flexible, but they also need to specialize because they get to college and they haven't specialized in anything. So it's like, for me, I'm training a kid who was like, my coach said I was fast, so I was a switch hitter. I mean, I have a number of athletes that that was their story, or I had to play three different positions and never really got to specialize in anything. So allowing these athletes to specialize, because some for some of them, they don't have the means to do personal lessons, um, you know, or a cage in their backyard, or a lot of them are growing up in single-family homes where Skylar's, right? I mean, I, luckily, I'm not having her play softball. Sorry, guys. I think we're on a basketball route. But <laughs> may not have um, – Marty might feel differently. But she may not have the means for me to be working a full day and running a Division One program and to come home and get her the reps necessary. Mm-hmm. So I think allowing them to specialize uh, – introducing these kids to the sport. I run a lot of camps that run for $10 um, locally um, in the DC area. Uh, because, But at the end of the day, they see me and they recognize me. They need to see people that are not like not my ethnicity, right? And make them feel welcome into the sport. So if that's hosting a camp that is extremely discounted, so it doesn't have this large number. I mean, I see some of the numbers on these things. That's an immediate no for some of these families. Um, so let's introduce these kids to the sport, much of what Natasha is doing. But I think it's beyond just the black athletes and coaches doing it. Um, I think everybody has to have a hand in like Victoria Hayward posted a picture today um, with pro swings. And it was three little black girls that she probably made their life. And they're going to feel comfortable joining this sport when they, not just our faces, everybody. So I think that that's something that's extremely important. Jen. Hi, Tori. Um, I remember the the night that that George Floyd video surfaced. And before people were having conversations about race, I remember I picked up the phone and called you at like 10.30 p.m. And you probably were like, why is Jen calling me at this time? You answered like, is everything okay? And I remember just having a conversation with you about race and what, what could I personally do? What could softball do. And I brought up, I was extremely naive. UCLA had just announced that we had the first black AD and I am completely naive saying, Tori, like, I don't understand why that's the story. And you stopped me in my tracks and you said, Jen, Chelsea Spencer just got her dream job at Cal. And do you know that Nebraska has never, ever had a black head coach for any sport? And you told me that your dream is probably impossible just because of the color of your skin. And that I, I started crying on the call. I got goosebumps all over my entire body because as a white woman, I, I would never, I would, that would never be a thought that I ever had in my head. And then the other day on Twitter, you posted something and you said, coaches ask all the time about pitching advice or defensive advice, but no one has ever picked up the phone and asked me how I could be a better coach for my black athletes. And I want to know from a coaching perspective, how can coaches be better to their black athletes? What can coaches do? First, I want to thank you for one calling. Cause I mean, it, it, it takes courage to do that. And I hadn't said that out loud that I'm scared to say that Nebraska is my dream job out loud. Um, because I, again, I'm scared of that every, I, I told you guys I had a plan and I've accomplished them. That is something that scares me to say, out loud, um, because I understand that I would be breaking a barrier, right? And, and and I don't know the reasons why it hasn't happened, but it's just, it's tough when you don't see it. So it is important. Like when I seen that AD announcement, that was a push that no one knew I needed, but I needed, I needed, I needed to know that that is realistic. Um, so uh, as far as uh, coaches, so I was having this conversation the other day, I'm at a historically black school. And so this is going to contradict everybody that says they don't see color. I don't, um, historically black school does not mean exclusively black. It means historically black. There are a number of fields that I walk up to where the coach is like, well, you know, I don't know. Right. I, I, mind you, I'm at Howard, which can be considered an Ivy league in many cases and a top notch um, education. Many of the student athletes or students in general are going to become our future politicians. They're going to become lawyers and doctors. And I have to explain myself and essentially make these families feel extremely safe 
about the idea of their non-African-American kid coming to a historically black school. And at first, like, I mean, I remember going extremely hard at it. Like, I, I mean, I, you guys, just last year, I bought a $700 plane ticket for a kid to come on campus um, and, and missed her flight because she couldn't get past the idea of being around that many um, African-Americans. And so to say that we don't see color, we clearly do, because I feel a responsibility when I recruit a non-black athlete, I have to make them feel safe. I have to go out of my way to make them feel secure. I was the only black kid on my team. Dina was recruited by several colleges. I was recruited by a little less than Dina, but still several colleges. Donna was recruited heavily. And not once did those coaches have to call my parents and make them feel okay about us potentially being the only black athlete on their team or being in extremely rural areas where we were going to be the minority. They never once had to explain themselves. But me, as a Black coach, I mean, I I go out of my way to make sure that they see uh, the white staff members that we have, um, that I connect them with other white student athletes. And so I'm not saying that even I shouldn't do that. But then that same amount of energy and effort should be put in on our end, right? Know, know that we're going to come in, because I had to adapt the culture, right? Um, I was in Lincoln, Nebraska, for God's sake. And I had to, you're talking about finding somewhere to get your hair done. Um, the assistant at Rutgers, we talked about it. That That's something worth noting. Like you're, when you're going to take on the role of getting this black athlete, it's not just about getting their athleticism. It's about giving them the best possible experience that they can have. That's a part of our experience, right? I had to go out there. I had to find who could do my hair. Maybe have it set up where, hey, these are some other athletes we'd like you to connect with. These are some staff members that you can connect with. So the same amount of effort I have to put in to convincing these families and making them feel safe and secure and giving them this experience at an HBCU, I think that that should happen at every other school. Call me. I called Aaliyah. uh, There are so many people that will answer the phone. Like, what are some things that you would want as a black athlete coming to my university and I've never vetted a phone call like that. I'm so grateful that everyone's extremely uncomfortable because we're finally having that conversation. Um, and I challenge people, don't be scared or of what you might have to say or how the conversation should go. Be afraid of the conversations you didn't have and the kids who had to come out there and kind of have this experience where on the outside it was amazing and we should feel grateful, but we dealt with our own struggles that we didn't get to really speak about. So, so coach, I want to know what, what can we do, um, the softball community and us as Americans to help your kids at Howard have a better softball experience? Like give us a path forward. Give me, I want a checklist of stuff that I need to be working on right now. Like give me a list. I, I need to help, help this process all, all the way forward. I appreciate that, Holly. I think it's recognizing them, seeing them. Acknowledgement matters. Um, I feel this profound responsibility right now because I'm very aware. I have three girls, and I'm telling you guys right now, top two, three of the top athletes I've ever coached any stop I've ever been. And I remember I thought they all should have been on a ballot for something. But I didn't want it to be like Howard's being greedy, right? I'm like, we'll be lucky if we get one. Even though at other universities, they can get multiple people are getting awards. So I, I felt this pressure. So I think recognizing them and seeing them. Um, I challenge college coaches when they go, right? We do the midweek games. Um, I, I said this, go to FAMU. Instead of FAMU coming to you, let's take them and, and, and you go down to their field because one, maybe it'll make student athletes, uh, you know, PSAs feel more comfortable about going, right? When they're like, oh my gosh, look at Holly Rowe in the stands at FAMU or at Howard or at Bethune-Cookman, wherever it's at, I think kind of showing and, and spotting more light on these athletes and these people is necessary. Um, and, and again, there's some special athletes down there. And it goes a long way. Like when Kalita got uh, NFCA uh, top 50, the NCAA top 50 watch list, she thought I was pranking her. Because it's just not a norm. And it doesn't mean that's going to be everybody's story. But there's some amazing stories down there. And I think America, my goal, and I put this in an article last year, I want America to fall in love with Howard softball. But more importantly, I want them to fall in love with historically black softball. Understand that it is bigger than them. You know, yeah, they're raw. But I'm going to tell you, Holly, you're going to have the time of your life you go down to one of those games. You talk about spirit and energy. It is unreal. And I think we need to broadcast that 
for the world to see and representation matters when they flip on a TV and they, they're all missing softball right now. So they're going to watch whatever we put out there because we're missing it. I think that they need to see these athletes um, in their, in their home court thriving and this fan base. And I think that when you see that's going to, that's going to capture someone's attention. If I'm a little minority girl and I'm like, Oh my, look at those kids in there dancing and you guys are going to be having the time of your life. It's going to change someone's life. It's going to make them feel comfortable about um, coming into the sport. I have a game at FAMU. I have done a game at FAMU. How was it? Great little stadium. Like they have a wonderful facility and that's a program that has been remarkable for a long time. But Okay, if you invite me to come to Howard, I will be there. You, you tell me the first day of practice, and I will be there, Coach. We right. need to support you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> hey, Tori, uh, Michelle Smith. Um, so first, real quick, I love Marty. Like, super, super have always loved conversations with him, so a, a big shout-out there. I love how strategic you are listening to you here. This has been awesome. Just the way that you had a plan and you saw yourself um, and, and getting to where you are now and getting to where you wanted to be, which I think is so important for athletes, for coaches, for everything. Um, my question to you is, is how can we get more um, inclusive and in getting more young uh, black players to pitch, to actually come out and say, hey, I want to be a pitcher. I want to be in that circle. I want that ball in my hand. What do you think we can do to, to help make progress in that area? I think a lot of them do. So that's why I challenge the youth coaches that – they're raw, right? And so then it's like, ah, but if you want to go to a bigger school, you should probably give it up, right? You're going to, you probably could go to a bigger school than be a start in their center field, or you're going to get an offer. So that's what happens is that it's starting there, right? Just in the recruiting with us as college coaches, we got to acknowledge that. Like we go out, like, I love that kid, but she can't help me in the circle. And so I think it's going to take some coaches taking some risk one or offering some affordable camps and getting out there and giving them the mechanics so that when they get out to the recruiting world, they're not being told you're good, but you're not quite good enough. You could go to a higher level. And so I think that that's what's happening is I know so many um, young black girls that want to pitch, but it just, they're in the other ear. It's like, you're athletic, you're athletic. You can play a lot of other positions. So I think it's going to take a team effort. Um, I want to get out there more. I mean, Amanda, you're amazing at what you do. Michelle, like you're the goat getting out there and working with these pitchers and giving them the tools and then allowing the youth coach, give them time to grow, give them time to groom. And you know what? Maybe they're not going to end up at a power five as a pitcher, but look at JMU. Right? Look at Odyssey. I, I'm curious to know how many people probably told her, I see you more as an athlete. And then her making a decision to go to JMU and prove them wrong. I think that that needs to happen too and, and, and it be encouraged um, at all levels. That would be Odyssey Alexander, uh, one to keep an eye on next season. Amanda? <laughs> yeah, Tori, we were talking about with um, Aliyah and Natasha, teammates being able to have open dialogue and conversation. Uh, about race, about, about tough conversations. So from a coach's standpoint, if you're a coach who's listening to this podcast, whether you're white or black and you are a head coach or an assistant coach of a team, what, what advice do you have for those coaches to start a conversation and how to lead that and uh, how to guide young players that are looking up to them as leaders uh, of what the next step would be um, and how to continue the conversation, not just now, but as we continue on for, for a year and year, years and years. Um, I think first it starts, I'm challenging all coaches with, if you are uncomfortable, just like I said earlier, imagine how uncomfortable the athletes you've had in the past probably have been. Um, imagine how uncomfortable everybody is now. We're all, that's why everybody's like, we're so divided. I'm going to tell you the one thing we all got in common right now, we are extremely uncomfortable. It is extremely uncomfortable to talk about being black every day and having to relive some experience that I otherwise wanted to forget. It's probably extremely uncomfortable to listen, but we are all in that together. So just open the door. I've had, I think one, elevate the voices in our game. I had Veronica Nelson hop on a call. Somebody I think is completely under, you know, spoken about and her talk to my athletes. And I've encouraged other coaches that have reached out. If you don't feel comfortable having the conversation yourself, elevate the black voices in our game right now and can kind of come help you through a zoom call 
right, and make it okay. I've talked to probably five teams um, since I did my NFCA podcast. Um, I think that, one, it's educating, and I think that that's cliche, but uh, you you do got to get educated to understand some of the things and why some things are taken personal um, and understand the athlete that you are dealing with. Um, so for me, like I said, doing what you guys are doing now, elevating the game, having those tough conversations um, and keeping them going. So I think, right, we all want a wonderful experience in life. We all want human in a human experience that they, that we all feel accepted and respected. There's not like we're, you know, black lives are asking for something different. We all want that. Every life wants to feel respected. They want to feel seen. So I think the only way you can do that is people need to see different upbringings. So when you're on the road, maybe go and take your team, right, to a restaurant that might be Black-owned. And they might be the minority, like, for one time. But I do feel there's, like, this element of fear, right, or just being uncomfortable. Let's continue to put ourselves in uncomfortable situations. I think that that has to happen. There's just no way. Um, ask your Black athletes before you recruit them. Go, go to their home. Go see their their life. Instead of these telephones, I get recruiting as fast. But, Jen, I know when you guys were recruited, there was like a home visit. Let's go to home visits. Um, let, let's continue to just share experiences and dialogue. And I, I think that, that that's going to help. And you just keep it going. It, it, again, like you said, it can't be a trend. Um, it has to be something that you're willing to be uncomfortable and continue to have these conversations all the time. And ask. I know that I have offered myself and I will continue to be a resource. Um, when you're in the DC area, I suggest everyone go to the Black History Museum. I know Kelly I took her team there. Um, and, and, and again, it, it changed. It opened their eyes. So that's extremely important. Elevating the voices in the game, critical. And, and you, you think about uh, some of the greats that we've had a chance to watch and now hopefully can listen to uh, even more the Shea Knightons and the Kelsey Stewarts of, of the world. Um, critical as we move forward. Tori, one last thing is what, what are, what do we need to take with us to continue this conversation moving forward? And, and, and where, where are we headed with the interactions now that you have with other coaches and players and just in general fans that you run into? Yeah. I think that this will tie into Amanda's. One thing is that we all have a stake in this. Um, I, some coaches are like, you know, I have an all white team. I'm a white coach. At the end of the day, this generation that is currently in college on that call, there's world changers. There's world leaders. There are people on that call that are going to become lawyers. There's people on that call. They're going to marry lawyers. They're going to marry someone in law enforcement. There's people that they might become law enforcement themselves. These people have power, no matter who you are, this generation, we must empower them to be better be better than what we even were um so i i again i think it's empowering them and letting them know that they can be the change and you can't you can't empower them or encourage them unless you have these tough conversations so that's something that i have encouraged everyone on call no matter what color you are go do something that makes you uncomfortable every day have conversations with people that make you uncomfortable every day um because these these kids are going to be role changers i coach at an hbcu so the predominant you know, obviously the majority of my girls are minorities. Um, and I told them your emotion right now, and that's fine. Like I, my girls cried when the video first was released. And, um, I remember I told them what you feel right now, I'm, I'm going to validate it for you, but what I'm going to challenge you is that tweeting about this and writing about this is only going to be cool for the next couple of months. You must be a role changer. You must go figure out a, a, a position you can get in our doctors, the, the, you know, the disparities we have even in our healthcare. You go change that. You go be the top doctor in an inner city. I need my girls to become politicians. I need a kid in the White House, not like reporting outside of it, in it. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, and I encourage them and I've empowered them on that. And you can't do that unless you get your education. So we need all of them to be empowered to get their education and go change the world when they're done. Mm -hmm. Tori Tyson, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we've got we've got some things to do. We we uh, be an agent of change. We got to get to a Howard softball game, yes. and and I love I love the fact that you have now uh, put voice to your dream. And uh, a good reminder for everybody: if your dreams don't scare you a little bit, they're not big enough. Um, and uh, just wonderful to uh, have you with us today. And and best of luck moving forward. And thank you for. Uh, for sharing some of your thoughts and for being a part of uh, what is the, the most important conversation in the world right now. Thank you. Thank you.
Well, that, that, this has been just fabulous to be able to listen to the guests that, that we had on today, Natasha Watley, Aaliyah Jordan, and uh, Tori Tyson, and great great advice for everybody in, in terms of how we can all get better in improving the game and improving ourselves as, uh, as teammates in, in our softball family and just to – the, the discussions that, that need to be had and the discussions that will continue to move forward, I think, in a very positive way. Uh, it also includes some uh, introspection and taking a look in the mirror and what uh, what can we at ESPN do to get better? What can the coaches get to do better? Uh, the Coaches Association get to continue to improve. And, and through Natasha Watley and, and the foundation, how can we get more and more minorities um, to, to love the game and grow up in the game. I, I loved what she said, access, Holly, equals opportunity. And, and the numbers right now are, are nowhere near what they need to be in terms of access and opportunity. That's right. And I wanted to bring up some of the things that we found out checking into how softball rates as a sport. In the student athlete race and ethnicity report from the NCAA in 2018-2019, all divisions – all student athletes, 64% are white and only 16% are black and just 5% of those are female. In softball, the numbers are pretty staggering. In 2019, there were 4,418 white softball players in the NCAA, 492 black and 1,526 other races. And that includes Latinx, Hispanic, um, Native Americans and um, Alaska Americans. Um, there's also Division One. I, I think this is another really important statistic for us to know. Um, in Division One, 2019, 29% of the coaches were white men, 57% of the coaches were white females, and there were only 11 black female coaches in softball. And so those are some of the areas that can improve. How do we do that? I reached out to the National Fast Pitch Coaches Association Executive Director, Carol Bruggeman, and she said that they have got many plans in place. Last year at their convention, they started with a minority gathering. Um, they are going to elevate that programming at their convention and try to do more onboarding in 2020. And they also just did a podcast, Education to Ele- Elevate, that is their pinch tweet right now. You can check out on NFCA. That was the podcast that Coach Tyson referred to, and it is incredible if you wanted to watch that. So there are some things happening at the coaching level. And then in the NCAA, I checked with the Office of Inclusion and Diversity at the NCAA, and there is a ton of programming that is already in place to help minority and women coaches elevate. There are leadership academies. If you go on to the NCAA.com, you can find all of this programming but over 417 minority student athletes, coaches, and administrators were impacted by leadership development programming. And so I feel like some of this is just getting the word out that these programs are available. There is an NCAA MOAA Award for Diversity and Inclusion, an annual national award that represents a partnership with the NCAA and Minorities Opportunities Athletics Association. Um, there is a ton of scholarship money available. Um, let me just tell you a couple of those and then I'll move on because I want to hear from other people. But um, the Division F- Division Two Ethnic Minority and Women's Internship Grant Program, there's a matching grant enhancement program in Division Two. Division Three has a coaching enhancement grant, also an ethnic minority and women's internship grant. Um, there are tons of money available through the Postgraduate Internship Program, Leadership Forum, Um, So really, I think people need to get the word out there that there is money and opportunity available through current programming that is already in existence, and we can do a better job. I'd like to say that we should invite some of these people on to talk about how can I get a graduate scholarship as a softball player? How can I get some of the minority coaching money and grants? And, And those are some of the things that we can do better, I think, in our space moving forward. And then the elephant in the room, hello, we do not have any... Black women talking about softball on our podcast on a regular basis. So I'd like to challenge us to all, all become more inclusive in that way, get more voices on ESPN, and, and I will commit to mentoring, helping anybody um, I can in that broadcasting space so that we can have more voices and more representation. As Natasha Watley said, we need more people that look like her talking about softball on TV. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and I thought um, Tori was awesome. I would I would love to speak with her every week on the podcast and learn from her. And um, and Holly, I think what what you mentioned there at the end is that um, all of these women, these guests that we had today, really sharing their story was enlightening for me because there were times that I felt like as teammates, um, we don't treat them different because we think it's not different. But like Natasha said, we are different and we just want to be able to say and know that they're, they're going through something that we need to be empathetic to that. We need to understand that. And so at times the elephant in the room is that we didn't, we didn't realize that what we were doing was, was impacting them maybe negatively. And so I feel awful about that, but that's why this is so great is to learn and to listen and to, and to hopefully make a difference moving forward to definitely make a difference moving forward. One of the things that um, has stood out to me and even Holly listening to some of the numbers and, and the mention of the NFCA and what they did last year with having a, minority grouping and, and it, it actually like triggers something in me. Um, because even when I speak as, as a Hispanic woman and, and it, it, it bothers me because a lot of times it's always being placed with other Hispanics, like, Oh, like let's bring in Jessica Mendoza. Like she will come and speak to all of our, our Hispanic female workers. And just listening to NFC and I, I love that they're doing that, but like it, it, it bothers me so much that it has to always be a separate thing that it can't just be, let's have actually coach Tyson with everybody. Let's have mm-hmm. like, let's have Tim Walton and coach Tyson in, in a room and have it be mixed groups. Because to me, it's, it still is this divisive feeling of like, here's where our Hispanic coaches are here, are where our black coaches are. Here's where everyone else is. Um, you never have like, let's have our, you know, this is going to be our white people, you know, you know, growing the game in softball. And I, I guess my point is, is, is it's just as it is important for a young girl, black Mexican to see themselves. It's also important for young white girls to see others. And mm-hmm. I, I just feel like we need to be in front of everybody. Um, and, and that's something that when I, I'm calling out the NFCA on this, but I, I talk to all youth coaches and travel ball coaches that don't have it just be, okay, this is going to be our minority day. This is going to be when we're, it's going to be Black History Month and we are going to talk about Martin Luther King Jr. Um, that it needs to be all the time and for everyone to hear and not always be this separate thing. Um, so that, that's something that I would like to see moving forward is have the great coaches in our game include everyone and not just have it be, well, this is our minority group for Tuesday of the NFCA convention. Jess, I think that's so powerful. And I think as all of us go through our own individual realizations of how we can be better, like I immediately think of clinics and I'm sure Amanda, you probably think the same thing because Natasha Watley and Tori both talked about clinics and that's something that Amanda and I do a ton of, right? And, and Jess, what you mentioned of having these like specific events, like how can we be better? How can we make sure that there's inclusion? I don't know if just going to these specific areas, like Natasha was saying, going to these low income areas is the answer. Like how do we get everybody blacks, Mexicans, what all there together, learning the same things from one another, not just about the sport, but from one another's experiences. So that's something as I work through my own transformation of my own mindset and perspective and grow my own perspective. That's something that I'm, I'm passionate about and and really thinking about how I can be a better individual and provide opportunities for people who come from all sorts of backgrounds. Can we fund scholarships to the package deal for, yeah, for black kids? Like, like we'd love to partner with, I would, I would donate money to you guys. Like, I want to give little kids opportunity. I think opportunity is all they're asking. And as Natasha said, low barriers. Like if, if that's right. a barrier that they can't pay the full rate or their family can't do, do whatever, or they don't prioritize it in their family. Um, like let's step up and give opportunities to kids. That's something we can do. For sure. And I think shame on us because when, when people do email us, like we do so much under the table where it's like, yeah, just come. But that's not something people know about. Yes. You have to send it in. Like, so I know we can be better at that. I know I can be better at that because when someone emails giving a story, 
probably a hundred times out of a hundred times, we're saying, just come, just don't tell anybody. Shame on me for saying, don't tell anybody, right? That's not fair. So I, I love the, I love that idea, Holly, but I always want to think like, how can we be better? How can I be better? Yeah, Jen, of course, we come from a very similar mindset because we're around young athletes all the time and they're looking up to us, um, seeing us on on social media for free, you know, or um, in clinics or on YouTube or whatever it is. And so that was the number one thing that Natasha said that caught my attention is a, a low barrier to, of entry to a no barrier of entry, just trying to find a way to get in front of them, to teach them softball, to introduce softball. Um, and to that, we all have a stake in this. I think that it, it's really easy to get set into my, I'm just going to speak for myself, but like get set in my own ways, in my own routine and my own goals and my own business and think, Oh, that somebody else is handling that. Oh, somebody else is doing that. Whether it's, getting it with the RBI programs or Natasha Watley foundation. Oh, Tasha, Tasha has that going on, but no, it's now it's how can I get involved in this? How can I make this a priority as something that is going to become a part of my routine to get involved with and not saying, Oh, so, and supporting it in a way that's like, yeah, Tasha, great job, but no, how, how can I help you? How can I um, invest into this to make it better, to spread the word and to impact bottom line, to impact more youth players that are African-American and get them playing softball. Uh, and we're able to see them more. I mean, it just gonna trickle up and up and up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, the pathway to becoming a head coach, if that's what you want to do, usually means your first stop is as an assistant, and that usually means you start out as a ball player. And so any way that we can get access to get more young black girls involved in softball, they graduate, they want to stay in the game, an assistant coach and a head coach, the path that, that Tori Tyson takes. You want to be, you want to be a sportscaster. The way to reach out to us is through your local university sports information department. You get in touch with your SID, as we call them in the business. Then when we come to town for a softball game, you can you can follow Holly Rowe around. You can come up into the booth with us and, and see what the business is like and, and make a stop in the truck. And it's it's not just walking in people's shoes, as as all three of them alluded to. It's really immersing yourself. It's It's been fascinating for me to listen to um, – the softball side of things where my background growing up was predominantly basketball. And, and, and I had friends who would take us to their gyms to play where you were. You you were the only girls in the room. You were the only white people in the room and how different that experience was in, in an uncomfortable situation and how much faster you become comfortable in those situations through understanding, um, you know, what, what people from different backgrounds are, are like. And so uh, the more we can do that in the softball community, the better, Holly. And, you know, like I want to put my money where my mouth is. I'm, I want to donate my most valuable asset that I have in life. And that is time. So if you want to message me on social media at sports siren on Instagram or Twitter, like I, if you want to get into broadcasting and we will help you. If you are a minority that has not had opportunities in broadcasting, like please reach out because I I think that this is something we can do a better job of and I'm willing to donate my time to do so. Well, thank you guys, everybody, for uh, being with us on the Seven Innings Podcast. Um, If you get a chance, check out Howard. If you get a chance, check out Aaliyah Jordan. And uh, if you get a check have a chance to visit the Natasha Watley Foundation. It's a great cause <laughs> to get a lot more people. But you see what? I'm still an English major at heart, Holly Rowe. Can't get that oh, out of me. So good. I love that. A turn of phrase. Um, we we uh, have learned so much from our conversation today, and uh, hopefully you have as well. Um, and, uh, Holly, I think you were the one that referenced, uh, this is our softball family, and to have these kinds of conversations uh, only makes us better and, and stronger and, and better allies uh, to fight for one another. So thanks for being with us today on the 7 Innings Podcast.